Hello and welcome to another episode of The Walk. I'm Father Roderick. Today I'm walking on a beautiful morning with the sun in the sky and a soundtrack in the background. This is music from uh, the mobile game Wizards Unite. And I'm walking to the office from my rectory here in Hoeglanderveen. And when I walk, I also take the phone with me. This is the last day that I'm going to use my iPhone 6 because if everything goes well, I'll have um, my, uh, my new phone coming in today. And uh, the walking is part of these mobile games. Uh, you may remember that from Pokemon Go where you have to walk to hatch eggs. With uh, the Harry Potter game, it's very much the same. You have to walk to find all sorts of magical objects that have leaked into the muggle world and you have to send them back. And uh, you know what I like about this game is just it it puts a layer over reality in a certain way and it gives you a purpose to walk. And uh, the more you walk, of course, the more magical creatures you encounter and the more you level up. So it's it's a very addictive type of game that keeps me moving because you can't play this in a chair at home. You won't, you won't be able to level up, so you, diff, you really have to walk the kilometers. And, and of course, that is kind of a, a very good um, thing for me in these final weeks before I'm going to walk that four-day walking event in, uh, towards the end of July, where I have to walk 40 kilometers a day. And because of the events um, around my father and the work um, for the kind of the working ahead, for the next season on TV. I haven't walked as much as I would have liked. So every occasion that I have, I just go out, take a walk, even for a, for an hour or so, just to get the kilometers in. It's much more the the total amount of hours than these these long duration uh, walks where I have to, where, where I you know take an entire day to walk. I can hardly find the time to do that nowadays. But I just trust that when I walk a lot. In the end, it will all add up and it will help me get through those four days. I mean, that's still pretty insane to walk 160 kilometers in just a couple of days, but uh, I think I'll be fine. Uh, One of the other things that I do when walking is, I think, I try to reflect upon uh, the things that I'm going to do or the things that we're currently doing. And uh, there are a lot of uh, creative aspects of the work that I do right now that require me to just take some time off, step away from the day-to-day work and have some more space or create more space in my head to think things through or to weigh the various uh, possibilities. That's also one of the things that I love about walking is you don't have much else to do. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> of course, I can always listen to an audio book or to a podcast, but sometimes it's just good to shut off all the, all the input from um, from these mobile devices and open your your head for you know the the kind of the the creativity that you sometimes uh, need for for certain things. All right, I'll in, in, I'll just do that and turn off this uh, Harry Potter thing. <laughs> and um, one of the things that I want to creatively think about. Uh, during this walk is um, a talk that I have to give tomorrow. This is on a... I'm walking here on the lane for cyclists, so I still have to... Actually, I have to move to the left side 
because hello. of uh, hello hi because of the parishioners passing me by and if you walk on the right side of the bike lane you can't see the bikes uh coming uh from from the, from your back and so that may sometimes create dangerous situations so it's always recommended that you walk on the left side so you can see what's coming to you um so tomorrow is a is a day for uh my tv viewers and not just people that watch my tv shows but it's everyone who watches religious programming for the broadcasting company that airs my my show so it's a it's a merger of a Catholic and a Protestant um, organization, broadcast organization, and they were based on on memberships in the in the early days. These were um, uh, communities of both Protestants and of, of Catholics, and I'm talking about like a century ago that came together and built up this broadcasting company. And even though religious programming is now very much in the background of what these, what this big company does, it's still an essential part of their identity. And so every year they invite their members to come to a day, that's called an inspiration day, where they can meet anyone who is involved in, um, in, the, in, the, in the production of these religious programming. And of course, as you can imagine, I'm one of those people. And so I, uh, I have to, uh, I was asked to do a talk about um, uh, freedom. That's the theme of the day. And somehow combine it with the things that I, that I work on, uh, whether it is uh, programs that have already aired or uh, TV shows that I'm currently filming. And the latter is, of course, much more important, much more interesting, I think, for me and for the people that visit. So now I have to try to think about a way to combine the theme of freedom with all these diverse topics that I that I um, that I film. And I like that challenge because it's not always something that I have uh, very clear when I'm doing a show. So uh, I, I often have an idea of you know something that could be filmic or a type of. Uh, a, a person or an event that may be interesting for the program, but I never know exactly what that is going to do in terms of the conversations that I will have. So, to give you just an, uh, an example, uh, last Sunday I was in um, this uh, southwestern town in the Netherlands, and they had this uh, procession to the, for the Virgin Mary. They had been doing that for 75 years. This is 70, 75th years year that they're doing that and it's a thank you procession because uh, a priest uh, during the second world war asked mary for her protection and promised her that if the the town would be spared from the uh from the aggression and and the bombardments of the of the nazis that they would do this that they will uh would would always hold these processions on a yearly basis to thank the virgin mary so that idea triggered me already. It's it's not not just a procession; it's a procession with a reason and with a history, and it kind of makes sense. And it, there's something interesting in the fact that they have been doing this for 75 years. That that means something, and tells us something about the strength of that uh, faith in the Virgin Mary, which is then, of course, relevant for uh, for my my TV show. However, when I was uh, doing the uh, filming. 
and had some conversations with uh, both organizing people and people uh, along the road or along the procession. Um, just had some wonderful conversations about uh, what this freedom had brought about. And it's just not just freedom of the Nazis, but it's also this freedom to live without fear and to, to uh, profess your faith and share your faith without fear. Which is still extremely relevant in uh, in the Netherlands, where especially now with the secularist uh, or the secularizing society, a lot of Christians have become fearful again, and feel that they're not no longer free to be Christians or to go to church or to let their actions and their choices be determined by their faith. There is a very strong secular um, pressure. Uh, yeah, pressure, I think, on, on Christians to not uh, uh, impose their religious views on, um, on society. Um, which, of course, I think is false, because uh, even though there is a separation between, let's say, the state and, and religion, um, it doesn't mean that, that Christians can't make choices based on their conviction. And if they, uh, if they have a... a, a if they make certain choices, the fact that they are a part of our society means that they can also help determine the choices that society makes. That's how democracy works. And I think one of the current dangers is that that democracy is not understood. It's not, it's not seen as let's together with all our differences and our different views on what is what's the, what's the what we should do as a society. Uh, let's talk, let's see if we can find a common way. Instead of that, it is, well, democracy means that religion may not impose its views on the rest of us, you know, advanced, more adult, secularized society, and let these Middle Ages people, <laughs> because that's often how we're seen, we're like, we're totally backwards, and we uh, we have no right to speak because, well, we we have such backwards opinions. That democracy is then seen as um, this kind of <laughs> I, I, is, is, is the almost um, a dictatorship of a certain 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 I don't know lifestyle that is that is on vogue you know that is current and that is dominant. But I think that, that, that what makes democracy so special is that there is room. For, for minorities with uh, certain needs and th- certain opinions and for faith uh, and for religion and for people that are motivated by their religious backgrounds. It's this, this um, working together that, that uh, helps us to understand each other. Wow, that was loud. Never understood why people just can't take a bike instead of always having these motorized polluting vehicles. Anywho, uh, it, it's, it's also the, the fact that we have to take each other's opinions into account and that we have to listen also to, to minority groups that helps us to always stay open for those, for those groups. And um, the conformity is the end of democracy. <laughs> the differences are what, what keeps us uh, trained to to let everyone have his or her voice. And that is, I think, essential for a, for a, for a healthy society. So anyway, how did I get on this? 
soapbox. <laughs> um, so I wanted to, uh, to address the topic of freedom. Um, oh yeah, we were talking about the, the, the fact that in that uh, town, Christians were, or Catholics were, were, were doing these processions and uh, openly professed their faith and evangelized. It was wonderful. There were so many, um, like the entire uh, procession was made up of, of groups of uh, people in, uh, in costumes and floats and whatnot, but every group had a biblical story that they wanted to convey or a story of devotion to the Virgin Mary. And that was literally done by pro- pro- proclaiming. All these young people had learned these texts by heart. I don't think they wrote them themselves. It's perhaps the priest, the local priest who did that. But, but they were really professing their faith on the streets. And everybody loves it because it's so visually exciting and beautiful to see. So um, it, it showed me that this, this whole topic of freedom has a lot to do with that procession, even though I did not realize it while I was filming it. And so that's something I want to integrate in this talk tomorrow. Now, the way I'm going to go about it is to try to find... Um, kind of, when you, when you do a talk, you need to find a structure. It needs to have a beginning, it needs to have a middle part, it needs to have a conclusion. It needs to go somewhere. It's not just... Uh, uh, just going from anecdote to anecdote, that's not going to be a very interesting talk. So I was thinking, how can I, how can I make this as interesting as possible and also as, as clear as possible in the sense that I, I want to use footage from the episodes that I filmed, but I want to integrate that in a bigger story about freedom. And so the first, the first thing uh, I'm going to show is... Uh, a piece of that documentary that I made in France with uh, this hermit, this other, this priest who has chosen to step away from his busy parish and live as a hermit. And it's, it's very much about listening and obeying to God's call, no matter what the world may say. And that true freedom means that you don't uh, do what you like to do yourself or what is most efficient or logical or or desired and God knows that priests are often people pleasers so we want to accommodate people's wishes and but that the, the most of the foundation of freedom is uh, a, is obedience and it sounds so contradictory because we, we often associate obedience with the lack of freedom but true freedom is to submit yourself to God's will who always looks farther than we can, can look, who knows how our life can uh, integrate in his overall plan for mankind. And so the most essential thing that we can do is to hand over our freedom to this much greater freedom of God um, that often defies our logic and our, our own estimate of what is useful and what is good. And so I wanted to start with that because I felt that it was a very strong appeal to, my, to myself as well. Um, and I often think back of those days in France and I feel a similar calling to become more free in the sense that I, I feel that uh, God is calling me to 
dedicate more time, more of my life to him. Um, and I'm not exactly sure in what form, and I don't think I have a vocation to become a, um, to become a hermit, but I do believe that it is the, the, the central uh, core, I think, of that appeal is that I hand over things, that I don't try to do everything myself, that I become more free to give things away, to ask other people to do things for me, and to trust that by doing that, I become more available to God. And, and so it's this whole tension between trying to do everything yourself, like a, like a child that wants to eat, uh, I can do it myself, and then the porridge is in your ear, like some of the photos of my childhood witness. <laughs> uh, and it's all about letting God uh, guide your life and let Him solve your problems. Uh, that doesn't mean that you don't have to do anything yourself, but it means that you first hand it over and then you ask for instructions in a certain way. Um, and that, that can, I think, and has already delivered me from a lot of my anxiety. Uh, am I doing the right thing? Am I, am I good enough? That, that is one of the major themes, I think, in my own spiritual journey, is this feeling that, well, maybe I'm not good enough, maybe I'm not doing enough. So that is, uh, that's something I want to start with. And then the second thing that I'm going to show is a, a part probably of... Um, I'm thinking if, if, if I'm going to do the, walk, the walking first. So I'm go just going to talk about what walking does to me. What walking away from my current life has meant to me when I was walking... The Camino and freeing up six weeks, sort of a honeymoon with God, and giving Him those six weeks by just walking and opening, trying to open up, uh, and and that you then discover that in order to become free, you have to let go of almost everything, including your security. Uh, when it comes to do I will I have a, a place to stay at night, um, your stuff because you can't carry anything with you. Um, and even your, your own ideas of what uh, a Camino like that should bring you. Like, I've struggled a lot with my own preconceptions of, you know, I should be experiencing this and that. Because other people have experienced that. But the, the, one of the, my lessons during that journey was, I'm not other people, and God has his own itinerary with me and so don't compare yourself to the way other people have lived their life or perform or make choices what matters is that you discover what God wants you to do so it's a lot of letting go and 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 accepting the road ahead of you the way it is with you know bad days days that you feel lousy and you have no energy Days with bad weather, but also beautiful days, unexpected encounters, spiritual moments. None of that is in my control. But they're given to you once you open. Once you open yourself. Now that this strain has passed by, <laughs> let me go to the third topic. And for me that has to do with what's holding you back. 
um, this journey towards freedom is never uh, an easy journey. Because you may understand it intellectually, what God wants you to do. That doesn't mean that you're ready to do that. I know intellectually that God is calling me ever since I've been to France to free up time for prayer and uh, to let go of my anxiety, trust that other people can solve things for me, etc., etc. But to actually do that is much harder than it seems or than I thought it would be. And uh, there's a lot of the old behavior that crops up time and again because the, the way you behave is never random it's never by accident it, it, we have developed all sorts of patterns of behavior because of things that happen to us sometimes as a defense mechanism or an easy way out of problems you know let's not call someone else to help me i'll do it myself and so i don't have to go through the hassle of instructing someone else and maybe it will go wrong and it won't be the way i want it to be so let's do it myself that fear can also be uh behind a lot of the ways in which we organize our lives and so i'm going to talk a little bit about the things that have held me back because it's of course i'm talking to an audience of i don't know last year it was a couple of hundred people and i don't know their situation in life but i've learned from doing this episode these episodes of the walk that i just needed to keep it very close to home and a lot of the things that i go through and share with you are things that are hopefully relatable because i'm just a pretty regular type of guy and uh being a priest does not exempt you from from difficulties or suffering or doubt or uh wrong decisions and sin it's all part of my life as it is of your life and so that is what i will try to do also with this uh this this topic of what what's holding me back to become more free to invite that outreach that god does towards me and then of course i have to kind of come clear and have to tell and share the things that were and are still holding me back and i think the the most iconic moment during my camino was that day that i had to climb to the to this this cross this iron cross on top of a big hill made out of pebbles and the pebbles are brought there by pilgrims who wanted to ask god to take a burden from them and the rock or the pebble symbolizes that burden and so that's what i did too i took a, a rock and carried it with me for a couple of hours all the way up to that cross and and i try to focus on the weight of that stone and asking myself what does it stand for in my life what is the heaviest stone or rock that i'm carrying along with me and ultimately discovered pretty close to the to when i was almost at the, at the foot of the cross i discovered that the my biggest burden is this fear of not being good enough a fear rooted in a at least in one big childhood trauma that kind of emerged during that walk and that was that and when i was in i think i i must have been 8 years old on my birthday i had uh uh normally in the netherlands when you celebrate your birthday you take something to school for the for the other kids um a little present or in my case it was uh 
uh, licorice because well I'm Dutch I like licorice <laughs> and so we distributed licorice and I was for one day I was popular because candy uh, which was not normally the case <laughs> I was kind of a nerdy kid and definitely not among the popular kids and so that made me feel super exciting and it was my birthday and so I had some leftover uh, uh, candy that I secretly ate during class and I was caught of course and brought it in front of the headmaster and the headmaster in my in my imagination looking back at that it was kind of like a professor snape very scary imposing big guy who uh, uh at that moment apparently thought that he needed to scare me into better behavior and nowadays i don't think that that would be acceptable behavior it's certainly not the most efficient way to react to kids misbehaving um, and so he threatened me that if i wouldn't be a better boy i wouldn't do work harder in school and obey the teacher that i would end up in the gutter and my life would be over and well stuff like that i was eight years old and the only thing i'd done was i ate some candy because I was eight years old and I had candy and I liked candy and it was my birthday. Goodness gracious. So <laughs> the stupid thing is um, that incident became a trauma and scared me so much that I felt that from then on I not only did I have to be better than I was but I had to be above everyone else. I should get the best grades, I should be the most liked kid, at least by the teachers, because I didn't care that much for my fellow schoolmates. What, it, what was important was that I was safe and that, I, uh, that the teachers liked me because the teachers could really ruin my life. They could, they could make me, you know, hold me back a class and uh, they would hand out grades. And so I was always trying to be the perfect student and I've been doing that for most of my life. And it's, it's become a defense mechanism or at least a way to feel safe. But it's always been, also always been a crippling mechanism because of the simple fact that you can't always be the best. You can't always do more than everyone else. And so, but I was always projecting this, this fear onto people that had authority over me, people that could tell me what I should do in my life forgetting the most important authority in my life God himself and it's much much more important to obey God and disobey the other people around you than than the other way around so um, all that became clear to me during that day at the Camino and then of course it's, once you discover that you start to recognize that pattern in, in a lot of cir circumstances a lot of situations um, and so that has helped me ever since to make better choices and to also not be af so afraid anymore to just do what I can and hand it over. And for instance, this whole new phase in my life uh, to work less. It's a very scary experiment, but I know that it's something that, uh, that God wants me to exper experience 
so that I can see that not everything depends on me. And even if I work only half of the amount of time that I used to work, and today is a good example of that. You know, normally it's a Friday, and in the past there would not be a single second that I would thought of taking the day off, because work. I can do more podcasts, I can do editing, etc. And now I'm, well, you know what? I have that talk tomorrow. I'm just, I'm, I'm not at the office right now. Yes, I'm going to the office just because I can and I want to. And I didn't want to do all this yesterday because we were busy with the renovations of the, of the studio. So I was like, you know, I'm just going to do that tomorrow. I have the day off anyway. And then it becomes very different. I'm still thinking about work and tomorrow the talk that I have to be there the entire day of two talks and one meet and greet all that is work but it's work that I don't mind doing because I feel that I am free to do it as well as I want so I'm I'm now deliberately choosing to go to the office sit down fire up Premiere Pro and find those fragments that can illustrate my talk nobody has forced me to do so my audience is not asking me to do so but I do it because I like to do that I I, I like to show and share what I've been filming over the past few weeks and I think it can help me tell a more impactful story so that has really made me so much more free and has also uh, shown me that, that that bears fruit it's much better for me and it's also in in the end much better for what I do the quality of what I do so um, that's when I'm going to show them what's holding me back and then maybe some other stuff that's holding us back and most most of the time the things that hold us back comes down to fear Um, and and because we're fearful we don't want to go forward We, we look back at safer times even in the church, sometimes you see those mechanisms where <clears throat> it's much easier to nostalgically think back of a, a romanticized past in the church, in society, rather than just facing reality and figuring out together and with God what we are supposed to do right now. And God never asks us to look back. Actually, it's one of the main, one of the important things that Jesus, just the other Sunday, that was, in, was part of the gospel. Don't look back. I don't want you to go back and say goodbye to your parents. I don't want you to go back and, and, and bury your father. <laughs> you need to come with me and let the past take care of itself. And, and that, that is a very radical invitation to freedom. Rid yourself of what's holding you back. And of course, that, you know, what, what Jesus, those, those encounters that Jesus has are are programmatic. It's not about that particular guy or, or woman that he, uh, that he meets. It's all about uh, realize that you can't move forward if you let yourself be held back by anything that is not God's will. That is, the, I think, the core message of that gospel, and I should apply that to my own life. And uh, so hopefully that, that will strike a chord as well with my listeners uh, tomorrow during the talk and the final <clears throat> thing that I want to show or no what, just one more so what helps you to get to let go of what's holding you back it's ultimately um, what can can help you it's trust 
because trust is also something you have to do yourself. You can't just buy trust or get trust. Or it's it's an action. It's a it's your you have to want to be trusting, even if you don't see reasons to trust. But with God, you can always trust, and He invites you always to trust, even if He doesn't show you exactly where the road will lead you. And trust is something you have to put into practice. And so I'm going to show uh, a short clip of my last. Uh, stay in Lourdes where I uh, prayed not for myself but for my parents in also very uh, uh, difficult uncertain situation where uh, my father is quickly deteriorating losing his health maybe in the end losing his life and it's and they can't go to Lourdes in this situation but I can and I can entrust them beautiful word to the Virgin Mary and because I know that she has promised to pray for us has promised to you know has been given to us by Jesus on the cross as our mother and that's again that says something that Jesus want his, wants his mother to be our mother and a mother is uh, is protecting her children and uh, stands firm for them and helps them well that's kind of what um but I think is a very important element that can help you let go of fear. Um, hand it over to someone who is bigger than you. <laughs> Ultimately, it's always to God. But the saints can also be that intermediary. And they can, because they live so close to God, and at the same time are so close to us, because they're regular people like you and me they can help us in that process of trust. So if we pray, if I light a candle in Lourdes to the Virgin Mary, I'm emulating her own trust in God. Let it be done according to your will. And uh, it's this, this open yes to whatever God has planned. And, and that's what, what I ask for myself. It's what I ask for my parents in these difficult times. And that makes you free. Because then, ultimately, you don't have to worry anymore. Not because the problems are solved, because I don't expect that to happen when lighting a candle in Lourdes, um, but because I'm not only the, I'm not the, I'm not the, the, the one who needs to save the situation. And I'm entrusting this to God, and I know that He's much more capable than I am to lead this into. Uh, a direction that is that bears fruit, that is good for us, and that does not always imply uh, health or miracles. It can sometimes also be the a journey of suffering and a journey of the cross, and it will lead to death. But that journey in itself can can be a very fruitful journey, and have many positive sides. Also, I think one of the problems in our societies, we are afraid of death, we're afraid of suffering. And because we're afraid of it, because we, don't, we haven't learned to trust anymore, because we, you know, faith is, is gone, um, because we fear it, we miss the opportunities that that journey through suffering can, can give us. It makes us miss all the lessons that we can learn 
the opportunities to, to become closer to each other because we're all, you know, in this situation. And, well, that too is a reason alone to trust more in life and to fear less. And then finally, I'm going to end with uh, a clip of that uh, procession in, in that town where I was and uh, kind of doing that as an overall conclusion. Look at how much that faith and the, that, the, the trusting action of that priest has given an entire city hope and faith and trust for 75 years now. And it's something that you see the people apply to their own personal lives as well. I talked to several people that told me I'm here not because of the spectacle. I'm here for a special intention. I'm praying for a girlfriend of mine. I'm praying for my mom. I'm praying for... And I want them to be safe. And I, I think that Mary can help them. So it's the, 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 the incredible witness, I thought, of what the trust of one person can mean for generations afterwards and how much that freedom that was gained after the defeat of the Nazis is a freedom that can help people realize how much the, the promise uh, of, of, of that priest but also the promise of the Virgin Mary in a certain way has brought them so much good and has and still helps them today something like that <laughs> now that i've shared that with you i don't know how on earth i'm going to remember that <laughs> tomorrow because i have no notes or whatever i probably just let the holy spirit speak the first my, my initial what i wanted to say is i'm going to sit down and write everything down and make a nice uh uh, let's say resume of what I've just shared, but why? This, this, I, I didn't have a plan before I pressed record here on the, on the recorder, so I have to trust that whatever God wants me to share tomorrow will, will be there. <laughs> and if not, there's always something else that pops up in my mind. That's usually how it works. And what helps me is, you know, looking for those. Uh, for those few video segments that can also trigger kind of a, the talk itself. That's usually how I prepare my homilies. I have two or three ideas and the rest the rest just happens. And, 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 and sometimes I only have one idea, but one idea generates another. And in the end, there's always, there's always a homily. And I don't know exactly how, how that works. The only thing is that I trust that it will happen. That too, speaking of freedom, definitely how it works. In my situation, I feel free to just, to not prepare. <laughs> and it's funny how I, I've been doing that for 15 years now as a priest. And I'll just let the Holy Spirit speak. Hopefully he speaks through me. Um, and I have such difficulty applying that to other areas in my life where I, I want to be in total control and uh, I want to do everything myself. I should do the same. Just, God, I feel that this is where you want to lead me. I'm here. Use me as you want. And then you'll probably generate something that's much better than what I could have done. 
<clears throat> with my filming, that's actually what I also experience a lot. So Sunday, when we went to uh, that procession, I was kind of, hmm, I don't know. What am I going to film? Am I going to just make, you know, take, take footage of all those floats and those groups of people and costumes and just do this, the, the usual kind of run-of-the-mill type of interviews. How do you like the procession? Yeah, I think it's wonderful. And what does it mean for your faith? Well, not that much. I'm not going to church, but it's still tradition, blah, blah. So I was like really not certain that this would generate anything worth worth airing, except for the kind of the visual parts. But I, I just didn't feel that it would be enough. Um, and yet, when I was there... The story tells itself. You meet people and they, uh, they, they, th- th- there were so many beautiful conversations that I had much deeper than I could have planned for. And that didn't depend on the quality of my uh, questions as an interviewer. It was the quality of the faith of the people that I encountered. And it was, even, it was so good that at the end of the day, when we were driving back, Martin and I, I'd said to Martin, you know what? I think that instead of combining the footage from last week when we were filming the preparations, when it was raining so hard, and then doing the second half of the show about the actual procession, I think I've got enough for two episodes. I think that this is this goes beyond just a report on 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 uh, how this procession came about. That's not interesting. What is interesting is what what this means to the people that live here and how much the both the process of the of the preparation brings them together brings them closer to God and the procession itself is also an incredible witness uh, of faith of trust that I have rarely seen a lot of the processions that I've been to in the past were much more cultural than faith filled but not here. Here I was really touched by the power of the power <laughs> of, of the, the Bible stories that were put on display, by the impact and the fruits that I witnessed and also partially filmed while walking around there. I could just see how, it, how uh, such a visual form of living out your faith how that helps parents tell those Bible stories to their children. Because I saw a mom, she was explaining the Bible stories to her two little children. And I asked her to, to do that again when, <laughs> because I wasn't filming it. And, uh, it but but you, you see that it's actually happening. Despite all the, 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 the negativity and the kind of the depressed stories about how faith disappears from society. And you see that when... Christians go out there and dare to witness about what their faith means to them and what tradition means to them, you see that it actually works. And and they have found a very creative way to do that, um, which is not an intellectual way. It's, it's just, let's, don't tell, show. Show people. They didn't use their own words. They were literally reciting the Bible. There was this little boy I guess he must have been 11 years old. And he was playing little Jesus who got lost in the temple. And this guy, that was so good and so convincing. So he's, he's followed by a group of scribes. And they were all in costumes. And little Jesus is like, 
is having that conversation, and then his mom, of course, arrives. But every, all those texts were from from the gospel stories, and the kid. And this was like a, a at least a six, seven minute performance. This boy had learned all those texts from the gospel by heart, eleven years old. And and it is just as impactful as when those stories were written down, if not more, because you actually see it in front of you, and you kind of can imagine what that was. That was what it looked like. Incredible, really incredible. And so, that is that for me is so good that it needs room, it needs space, it needs. And of course, I was afraid that if I would propose that, you know, my editor. Not not the editor who's putting the video together, but uh, the editor of the editorial team and, and the broadcast company would say no. He's like, oh, you've already done one episode and people are going to get fed up with that and don't do that. And I didn't get any complaint about it. And I just like, again, I just feel, should feel free. If that is what I think is good for the message that I want to convey and visually it is good enough, why worry? Just propose it. If you don't ask, you will never get an answer. I'm trying to uh, liberate this buck beak <laughs> with a spell that is not really working here on the phone. Oh man, this Apple is so slow. Or this iPhone is not registering my, my Alohomora spell. <laughs> There you go. Now, now he's free. Little Buckbeak is free, and he's going. He's going to fly back to probably Hagrid, I guess. Yeah, he's back to Hagrid. He's been returned to the Forbidden Forest. I should get the heck out of here because I'm standing underneath trees with these uh, caterpillars. We have an infestation of dangerous, poisonous caterpillars in the Netherlands, and uh, they're currently shedding their skin, which is covered in tiny little hairs, and those hairs. And I already feel it in my neck now. I'm standing too close to that to that tree. They cause um, infections that resemble um, mosquito bites, but they're so much worse. And this is a, a real plague right now. And I can see that all these trees here on the on this itinerary are covered in these critters. Wow! And there's no magical spell that can rid me of them. Oh, last week I, I could barely sleep, so it was itching so much. And then the, the stuff that you usually do against mosquito bites doesn't work because it's an allergic reaction. Oh, well, it is what it is. I've just unlocked a port key, a shoe that can bring me to another place in the Harry Potter universe. And I'm, I'm almost at the office, and I saw another purple artifact and now it's gone oh well I'm helping Hagrid oh there it is let's see what this is Hagrid has a number of um, of creatures that escaped and now I have to help him return it oh now it's green oh it's a unicorn nice symbol of Christ by the way in Harry Potter um, but it's very high uh, the spell that that has um, taking that is imprisoning him is very strong. It says, so I'm going to use a counter spell. It's also very strong because I need to really set him free. It's harkening back to the first Harry Potter story, of course, with the Voldemort 
drinking the blood flowing from the side of the unicorn. I freed the unicorn. Very good. And he's back. Also returned to the Forbidden Forest. I think I still need to find a couple more of these unicorns. Oh yeah. Still gotta find eight. Oh my gosh, my, my neck is itching. Um, you know what they they need what they tell you to do when you you've been affected by these caterpillars? You have to take uh, duct tape, put it on the skin, and tear it off again. That's the only way to remove those hairs that are causing the inflammation on your skin. So that's the first thing I'm going to ask when I'm at the at the office. Uh, hand me the duct tape. <laughs> oh boy! Oh boy! Well, anyway, this was a very entertaining walk. At least I thought it was entertaining. You definitely helped me formulate my talk for tomorrow. So that has also made me free and liberated me. Um, I'm going to put this on uh, the server so it can be posted. I'm going to isolate those video fragments. Hopefully my phone will be there. If not, I'll just have to sit there and wait for the delivery. It's DHL. And they, they actually should have delivered the phone yesterday and so I was sitting there until eight o'clock at night just waiting and waiting I was hungry I wanted to go home I was tired it was a long day and then one minute after eight Amazon posts a message like unfortunately something went wrong with your with the delivery we're working with the delivery company to solve the problem your phone may be or your 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 purchase may be delivered between the 5th of July and the 14th of July like what (laughs) Fortunately, this morning I got the message that it's on its way, but you never know exactly when it will arrive because it depends on the itinerary of the of the of the of the car that is uh, going to bring it here. And but if it's here, then the rest of the day I'm just going to walk, and uh, because I I want to see if I have an appointment at seven. Before that, I should be able to walk at least five or six hours, which is thirty kilometers. It's not enough, but it's better than nothing. All right, thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you if you are a Patreon supporter. That helps me, for instance, with the purchase of this phone. I've been sticking with this iPhone 6 for five years now, I think, because, well, phones are expensive. But thanks to your contributions, I've, I've been able to make that purchase of this new phone, which is very, very good for vlogging. And uh, so if you want to help out with these things and... Not everyone, of course, can, can uh, has the budget to help. Uh, but some of you may be able to do that. And, and, and it's fun to do these things together. And uh, you help me what I do best. And hopefully I help you in return by, by doing this work and by sharing what's going on and by pro- making these, these uh, programs. Let me know and uh, check out patreon.com slash fatherroderick if you want to join that community. Talk to you uh, later. And uh, have a great weekend.